if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. Young people can be dismissed downstairs for children's church. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to begin reading down in verse 16. Now we're going to start in verse 14. Now let's start in verse 13. I'll tell you what, I wanted to read the whole chapter. You know, those of you that know me, I I apologize for our visit. Those of you who know me know I I think it's very important to to learn Scripture, to study Scripture in context, in in the setting that it was originally given, and not to pull something out and try to do something with that. Uh, But I, I I think 13 will work. Amen. You follow along silently as I read aloud. The Scriptures tell us, For brethren... Ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh." For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Lord, we're thankful for the time together this morning. God, I pray now that you'd fill me with the power of your Spirit. I pray that you'd help me to communicate your word faithfully, effectively. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that doesn't know for sure if they're on the way to heaven, Lord, they've never had a time that they've trusted you as their Savior. I pray today would be a day of salvation for them. Lord, I pray for Christians uh, that perhaps are struggling in, in some areas of their lives, Lord. I pray that the message today would be a help to them, it'd be a challenge to them, it would, it would give them some direction. Lord, I pray for mature Christians that perhaps uh, have been saved many years, Lord, uh, to to just examine what is their life producing? What is it uh, that they have to show uh, for their time spent here for you, Lord? I just pray that we all would leave here today having been drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The book of Galatians is believed by most Bible scholars to be probably one of the first epistles, if not the first epistle, that the Apostle Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write. Uh, one of the, a little kid one time in Sunday school uh, thought that the word epistle meant the wife of an apostle. But that's not what it means. It means, it means a letter that, that was written, and it was written to address real problems. It was written to address real people. It was written to address definite circumstances at the time. Uh, but because it was inspired by God's Holy Spirit, it also has an application that still can be made fresh to us, even today, almost 2,000 years later. 
Uh, there are, there's a debate among scholars whether the epistle was written before or after Acts chapter 15 because one of the hot topics of the letter to the Galatians was the topic of circumcision. In Acts chapter 15, James, the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem, settles the fact that, hey, listen, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. And that's great news because adding anything to the finished work of Christ, by the way, what did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. He didn't say it was started. Amen? He didn't say, I made the down payment, now you pick up the payments. Amen? He said it's finished. If you add anything to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, folks, you're trying to add works to salvation. You're trying to add works to grace. And this is a very dangerous thing. How dangerous, Pastor Mike? What's the big deal? You're a preacher. You want people to live decent lives. You preach against some of that stuff you just read about. Uh, yeah, but here's the thing, folks. When it comes to salvation, I'm not trusting in the way I live my life. I'm trusting in what Jesus did for me on the cross. Right? Amen? I'm trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us, for by grace, unmerited favor, are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Our human nature has a desire to somehow rationalize, to somehow justify, to somehow try to make ourselves seem not so bad. I mean, if we, if we get pinned down on, well, yeah, I know I'm a sinner, but at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I mean, they're a real bad one, you know, and I'm, I'm not that bad. But here's the thing, folks. The Bible says all have sinned. So the Apostle Paul finds out that some churches that he's visited. By the way, if you, if, you, if you do a word search in the book of Acts and you're looking for the city of Galatia, you're not going to find it. Galatia was a province. Okay? You can think of it like uh, you could visit Port Austin. You could visit Port Holt. You could visit Caseville and Bad Axe. Uh, but those are all located in the county of Huron, right? That's what you can think of as Galatia. Right, Galatia was like a big province, and it had a bunch of individual cities that the Apostle Paul visited on his very first missionary journey. Now, as often happened, Paul would travel around, he'd go to cities, he would, he would start preaching the word, he'd gather a group of folks, he'd give them some basic instructions on what they needed to understand concerning salvation, concerning growing in the Christian life. And then after Paul left, some other guys that saw, wow, Paul, he's really got something good going there. We're going to capitalize on that. We're going to work this to our advantage. They would show up and claim, well, you are aware that the Apostle Paul did not attend the University of Jerusalem, right? You're aware he's not one of the original 12 that Jesus handpicked. He didn't actually travel with Christ. And therefore, you got to take what Paul says with the grandson. And, 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 and Paul, he did good. But let's, let's give you the whole story. Here's the thing. You really need to be circumcised. And so Paul starts out in chapter 1, and he very emphatically defends the gospel. In fact, folks, he defends the gospel so strongly, he repeats it twice. He says, if anybody preaches any other gospel, folks feel like I'm narrow-minded sometimes. Pastor, do you think there's only one way to be saved? Yes, but it's not the Baptist way. Relax. If you're here today, you're not a Baptist, that's okay. Because being a Baptist won't get you to heaven. That's right. Being a Baptist won't get you to heaven. It's not the Catholic way. It's not the Presbyterian way. It's not. It's the Jesus way. Amen. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. There's only one way to heaven. And when people start trying to twist salvation and try to conform it to some system that they can profit from, and by the way, let's face it, religion is very profitable, is it not? Very, very profitable. 
If they can twist it some way to get some sort of advantage of it, uh, they'll do it. So these teachers came in, they badmouthed Paul, and they told these Galatian Christians, look, you need to be circumcised or you're not going to make it. I mean, you're close. It's a good thing what he said, but you're not quite. And boy, Paul says, hey, if anybody preaches any other gospel unto you than that which I preach, let him be accursed. Folks, that's strong language. Paul is saying, let that false teacher go to hell. Now, you say, Pastor Mike, I never thought I'd come to church on a Sunday and hear a preacher say that. I, I, I didn't say it. Paul did, okay? Don't get mad at me. I'm not trying to explain to you the seriousness. Of, and then he repeats it. I mean, he said it one time. That's important. He repeats it again in the next verse. In chapter 2, he talks about that they were questioning his apostolic authority. So in chapter 2, he tells them the story how he had to straighten out the apostle Peter. Because <laughs> Peter kind of made a mistake. And Paul says, hey, I want you to know, when I saw Peter do that, I withstood him to the face. In chapter 3, he explains that while the law was important, we shouldn't think of the law as saving. The law is a schoolmaster that shows us our need. Hey, you know, when I was in school, uh, back, you know, just past that picture you saw a little while ago, when I was in school, I didn't necessarily see the value of math. Amen? <laughs> I didn't see the value of recess. I definitely enjoyed the value of lunch and gym class. I could not see the value of math. I could not see the value of reading. I could not see the value of, of science and the other subjects. But guess what? And when I got older and had to support a family, suddenly I was like, hey, that's, I'm glad I learned that stuff. I'm glad I understood it. Why? Because then I was at the age to comprehend the importance of it. But a lot of times it's good to have the rules, and that's what Paul is saying. The law showed us our sinfulness. The law convicts us of our need to have that relationship with God. In chapter 4, he talks about how uh, we can become sons of God. And in the beginning of chapter 5, he talks about the fact that because we're not under the law, we now have liberty in Christ. Now, what does that word liberty mean? It simply means we're not, under, we're not under bondage. We're not under the supervision of someone else. You know, there are some churches that teach that some guys are higher up in God's pecking order than the average pew sitter, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Amen. The Bible, in fact, it's, in, it's, in, it's right there in Galatians. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So, Pastor Mike, how come we're all sitting here quiet and you're flapping your jaws? Well, because God's given me a, a spiritual gift of being able to teach and preach God's word. I'm trying to help you with that. All right, and that doesn't mean I'm any better than anybody in this room, folks. I'm not. I'm a sinner just like you. Thanks for that amen. I'm not. I'm not. I'm really not. I'm serious. I'm serious about that. I'm not. So let's not let's not be fooled. Let's not. Whoever your favorite preacher is, whoever your favorite Bible teacher is, understand something. They are a sinner that needs Jesus Christ. Just like you do. Now, they might be especially gifted in the area of Bible teaching, exhortation, uh, preach. I believe that's the gift that the Bible refers to as prophecy for spiritual gifts. But we're all the same. We're all the same. And Paul talks about that. So in the first part, he says, hey, understand, you're not under bondage. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to pick out a lamb from the flock on the 10th day of the first month and set him aside for a week and make sure there's no blemish and then, then slit his throat and then apply the blood to your doorpost and then have a meal that night. You know, you don't have to do all that stuff. You're not under bondage. You have liberty. Now, where we started picking it up, Paul says, but don't use liberty as an excuse to live wild. It's an interesting thing. People like me that preach 
that once you've trusted Christ as your Savior, once you've accepted Jesus Christ, you're born into God's family. Okay? It's hard, it's hard to think of me as a little kid looking at me now, but you saw a reminder, I was a little kid at one time. I was born into the family of Ray and Judy Goforth on August 22, 1962. That's when I discovered America. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Over the last 56, almost 57 years now, there's been times <laughs> that I've heard Ray and Judy say, did you hear what your son did? <laughs> and then one of them said, oh, it's not my son, it's your son. But the truth of the matter is, I'm both their son. And there's nothing they can do about it. Believe me, there's been a few times they wish they could bail. Amen? There's a few times they wish they could say, hey, don't blame him on us. But it doesn't matter. Why? Because I was born into their family. But now let me say that I did not always enjoy close fellowship with my mom and dad. There was a period of time in my life that I went through. I went through a rebellious stage like most kids do. Uh, from like... Sixth grade through eighth grade before I finally got right with God. I, I boy, I had a chip on my shoulder. I had a chip on my shoulder. I had a bad attitude. Our church had a Christian school. I was the first kid kicked out of it uh, for demerits because I didn't want didn't want the teachers telling. No one would tell me what to do. Yeah, well, go down the road and see what happens, kid. And, and I mean, I, I I got into some trouble there. All right, I had some problems. But you know what? I was their kid, even though I wasn't in fellowship with. And folks, once you're born into God's family, you're his child. You're his child. Now, after he says, don't use liberty as an occasion to be a stumbling block. Don't use liberty as an excuse to indulge yourself in whatever your sin is. And by the way, folks, we all struggle with sin. Just because you're saved, just because you trust Christ as your Savior, doesn't mean your struggle with sin is over with. At the moment of salvation, the Bible teaches God's Holy Spirit enters into you, he indwells you, he seals you, he makes you a part of God's family, and now you have a new nature. Now you have a spiritual nature. Now the Bible uses several words for this. The Bible talks about being born again. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He tells the woman at the well in the very next chapter, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for the living water. Because whosoever receives this living water, they'll never thirst again. Jesus didn't mean physical thirst. He was talking about spiritual thirst. That spiritual thirst will be quenched. Uh, the Bible talks about salvation as regeneration, coming to life again. The Bible talks about a salvation, obviously, as salvation. It talks about uh, being born into God's family. A number of different terms. So now Paul addresses... The elephant in the room. Okay, Paul, if we're truly a part of God's family, you say we have liberty, but we're not supposed to just live like a heathen. We're not supposed to, you know, run around saying, well, if I'm saved no matter what, I can do whatever I want to. By the way, you can do whatever you want to and still be saved, but you can't do whatever you want to and please your Heavenly Father. Amen. That's good. And Hebrews 12 does teach that whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Yeah. Every son. Okay, that, that's a different sermon. I don't have time for that this morning. We've got to stay focused on Galatians 5 here. So Paul now talks about the dichotomy, the problem that we have, every one of us, between the two natures that dwell inside us. Two natures? What are you talking about, Pastor Mike? We have a sin nature that we inherited from our parents, goes all the way back to Adam. That's right. And if we're born again, we now have a spiritual nature given to us by God's Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. 
Now, the Bible talks about the fact that when we first get saved, when we first are born into God's family, we need to feed on the milk of the word. That's something that for me as a pastor, it's a challenge because I have people here that have been saved longer than I've been walking on planet earth. And they've heard way better preachers than me, and they've heard way better sermons than me, and they're hoping to come to church and get something, and then I come and I start talking about something simple, but I've also got folks out here that they haven't been saved very long. And they're learning things in the faith. So I'm, so I'm, trying, I'm trying to feed the sheep, amen? I'm trying to feed the lambs, and so I'm, I'm hoping that today, I'm really, I, I was really burdened about this message. This message is actually going to launch a series. How long will I be in this series? I don't know. Uh, but uh, I, I, I'm really burdened about this because I think a lot of people sometimes don't comprehend, they don't understand. Hey, I thought I was saved, but I'm still tempted to do such and such. I still have an appetite for this. I still, when, when, when my neighbor's dog does little odd jobs in my lawn, I still get angry and yell at my neighbor. <laughs> And try to kick his dog. <laughs> Even though I'm now part of God's family. I still, when I go to Walmart and I wait five minutes for that perfect parking spot and somebody zips into it in front of me, I still have to hold the steering wheel tight so I don't make any special hand signals, you know, that the person that did that. I mean, we, we struggle with things, don't we? You know why that is? Because we have a sin nature. Now, folks, the Bible illustrates this over and over again in the Bible. We see this right off the get-go with Cain and Abel. We don't have the time to turn there. Just refresh your memory. It's Adam and Eve have sinned. They've eaten the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They've been cast out of the garden. Adam's been cursed. Eve's been cursed. The serpent's been cursed. The earth's been cursed. I mean, there's a flaming cherubim keeping them from going back to the garden. Now we start chapter 4, and the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve had a couple boys. And Eve was super excited about the oldest boy, Cain. The first man born, that's why Adam. Adam wasn't born, folks. Adam was born by the Lord God himself from the dust of the ground. Cain was the first man born on this planet. And Eve thought maybe Cain was the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15 where God promised to send a redeemer. Eve was all excited, man, because she knew she sinned. But boy, she, she wanted to restore her relationship with God. She wanted to be eradicated of that sin nature. She thought, Cain, I've gotten a man from the Lord. Oh, she was so excited. Oh, the promise that Cain seemed to have. And then she had Abel. Some Bible scholars think they might have been twins. Because the Bible says that Adam knew his wife Eve, and she bare Cain. And again, she bare Abel. It doesn't mention an interlude in between. So, so we don't know that for sure. Some people think they might have been twins. But anyway, Abel was born, and she said, oh, his name's Abel. What does Abel's name mean? Vapor. <laughs> Those Old Testament names, are some of them are pretty interesting. Don't, they, don't dwell too deeply. But as they grew up, things started becoming noticeable about the different natures. Now, if you're here today and you're a parent and you've got more than one kid, you know what I'm talking about. They may all have the same physical DNA, but they are all different. They are as different as different can be. Boy, my kids, you know, when I, when I was a uh, dad, when they were all at home, thank God I'm a grandfather now, amen? But when they were all at home, they get in trouble. Some of my kids, they, they wouldn't flinch. They wouldn't be repentant until the panel was, until the Board of Education was being tried and seated on the same, amen? There was no repentance. There was no remorse. But now I had other kids. You're all, you're in trouble. Go to the room and wait for them. <laughs> But I had kids, 
We, we sent them to bed, didn't know that they'd done anything wrong. My wife and I are sitting here chilling out, watching, watching TV also. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I don't want I gotta do this, but I wasn't supposed to do I mean, they're different, as different as me. I was like it. If you caught me, I wouldn't lie about it. But if you didn't catch me, hey. <laughs> One time, you, you young people don't know, but just, just play solitary in phone for a second here. The older people, remember when the $6 million man was on, right? Man, I'm watching the $6 million man in my grandma and grandpa's house on Leach Road there in Pontiac. And I go in the bathroom, and I use the restroom, I wash my hands like a good boy. Uh, I'd like to tell you how I always do that, but back then I didn't. But that time I did, and I was looking at that towel rack, ceramic towel bathroom, ceramic towel fixtures on the towel, and I reached, I put my hand on that ceramic towel fixture, and I went, and it popped off the wall. And probably my eyes were literally all like that. What am I going to do? I'm going to be in big trouble. So, how can I get by this? So, man, I press it up tight against the wall. I open the door. Put that against the towel rack. Hold it in place. I put the towel over the bar. And then I went and crawled into the closet right next to the bathroom and waited for the first unsuspecting victim to come to the bathroom so they could take the heat. Turned out it was my grandpa. My grandpa Hold the door open, thunk. Oh, how about that? That broke up. You think I ever told my grandpa what happened? No, I never told him what happened. Now my father-in-law's learning about all the stuff that broke in his house. Anyway, hey, and they're all different, amen? They're all different. They're different. And the Bible says it came time to bring a sacrifice to the Lord. And so Cain brought his best vegetables, his best fruits, because he was a toad on the ground. Abel brought a little lamb. He sacrificed the lamb. He put the lamb on the altar. God had respect to Abel's offering. But God did not have respect to Cain's. Somebody said, Pastor Mike, what does that mean, have respect? Some Bible scholars believe that just like Elijah put <laughs> down fire from heaven at Mount Carmel when he had to show down the prophets of Baal, they believe that at that point in, in the Bible times, if God accepted your offering, he sent down fire and consumed it. And if he didn't, then you knew God wasn't happy with it. But we don't know that for sure. The Bible doesn't say that. That's just what a couple of my commentaries say. But everybody knew, Cain included, God was not happy. Why? Because Cain was bringing the works of his hands. The Bible says God spoke to Cain and said, Cain, if you do the right thing, everything will be good. But Cain, if you don't do the right thing, buddy, you're on the wrong path. You're on the bad path. You know what? Before I became a pastor, I was a youth pastor. And I've had that conversation with a lot of young men. I said, hey, listen, sometimes I'll have an older brother. I said, what do you think about your older brother? Yelling and screaming at your parents, getting in trouble. Oh, he's a jerk. Oh, I never want to be like that. And I remember looking at the first kid and saying, hey, look, you're on the path. His older brother's name was Lucky. You're on the path to Lucky, though. <laughs> so if you don't change things, that's where you're going to end up. Hey, folks, if you get on I-75 South, if you don't get off, you're going to end up in Florida. You can say you don't want to go to Florida all you want. But if you stay on I-75 South, you're going to end up in Florida. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be oversimplistic. I'm just trying to say a lot of people, will, will they fool themselves into saying, well, I don't want my life to end up that way. But right now, I'm going to have some fun. Right now. Some of these girls, you know, what is it with girls liking the bad boys? 
Girls, bad boys may make exciting husbands, but they or exciting boyfriends, they typically make terrible husbands. That's right. Amen. Well, I'm just dating him. I'm not, I'm not serious. Let me clue you into something. The last one you date is the one you marry. <laughs> Right. Hopefully that's the last one you date after you're married. If you keep dating after you're married, you're probably in trouble. <laughs> if they're not marriage material, don't mess with them. No, that's just a little free advice. That's not even the message. But here, Cain represents the old nature, the flesh. He's not interested in spiritual things. Abel, he represents the new nature. He's interested in spiritual things. He's right. He's not perfect. He's a sinner. He's got a sin nature, but he cares about spiritual things. He cares so much, he's trying to talk to his brother Cain and get him straightened out. How does Cain respond to that? Shut up. Boom. Kills him. Kills him. We see another illustration of that a little later on. Here's Abraham. Abraham has two sons. He has Ishmael, who was born when he was 86. He has Isaac, who was born when he was 100. So Ishmael is a good 13 and a half, 14 years older than his little brother Isaac. The time comes for there to be a little family celebration about Isaac becoming a man. In, in Bible customs, Hebrew customs, that was when the child was weaned. Most Bible scholars say he was about five years old. Think about that, ladies, when you think about this. But anyway, they had, they had a belief. They had a belief that the longer the kid nursed, the stronger he would be as a man. So that was, but anyway, they're having a big celebration, and, and I, Ishmael is making fun of Isaac. Look at that little pipsqueak. He's going to be the big family heir. He's going to carry on the promise. Look at these guns, and look at those little spaghetti strands hanging from his tunic. Who does he think he is? And Sarah overheard him mocking, and she said, Abraham, you need to throw him out. He can't coexist with my son. We see it just a, another generation later. Isaac, Abraham's son, marries Rebekah. They're married for 20 years. They don't have any kids. Having troubles. Isaac prays. Rebekah gets pregnant. But boom, lightning strikes. She's got twins. Not literally lightning. I'm just kidding. She's got twins. Now, Genesis says that she sensed the struggle inside her. And we might tend to think, well, yeah, babies move around. When my wife was pregnant with our first baby, when she got to where she's moving around, man, I poke my finger on one side of Sharice's stomach and an elbow or something come out, reach to the other side and then something come out. But it wasn't just normal movement. Another, another prophet, I, I don't remember the one off the top of my head, another Old Testament prophet, he talks about the fact that she was actually, uh, in, there was a struggle going on inside her that Esau was trying to take out Jacob, even then. And after they were born, they had completely different personalities. Esau came out red and hairy, Jacob came out Plain and smooth, holding on to his brother's heel. Got his, got his name, Esau, supplanter, means trickster. That's kind of what he was known for. He talked Esau out of his birthright when they were fairly young men. Now it's time to receive the blessing from Isaac, and he lies. He conspires with Rebekah, pretends to be Esau, gets the blessing. Now, by the way, that was God's will. It wasn't God's will for him to lie, though. I, Jacob reaped a lot of problems with that. That's a different message. Don't have time for that one. But here's what I want you to see. When Esau found out what Jacob had done, you remember what Esau said? Dad's about to die, and when Dad dies, we're going to save money on the other table because it's going to be a double team of I'm taking out Jacob. And here's the funny thing, folks. They're twins, right? They're born at the exact same time, but nobody, Rebecca included, wanted to put a bet on Jacob to win. Amen? 
Hey, all said, Esau said he's going to kill you. You better get out of here. <laughs> you better leave. You ain't got a chance because Esau's going to take you out. Now, understand what the scripture is teaching from that, folks. No matter how old you were when you were saved, your sin nature is older. And it's stronger. I got a brother. He pastors down in Florida. I prayed and prayed for a brother. Tyler's mom showed up. Well, okay. I pray and pray again for a brother. Finally, brother shows up. He's nine years younger. I was so excited I didn't realize a nine-year younger brother was pretty much useless growing up. Amen. You're not even going to go on bike rides with your little thinky brother. You know, you're not going to play basketball with him. I didn't know. I was excited. You know, oh, I've got, got my brother. Break look. I'm a brother. But, you know, as we started getting older, if David wanted to do something and I wanted to do something different, guess what we did? <laughs> did what I wanted to do. You know why? Because I had nine years on him. I didn't want to do it. Boom! That's what we're doing. That's my best terrible. You treat your brother. Yeah, I treat my brother like that. I treat my sisters like that. I pretty much, that, you know, that was, that was, hey, I'm a sinner just like you. What do you, what do you think I... Well, dearly beloved, please. No, I wasn't like that at all, you know. And for years and years, in fact, we moved out to Connecticut, came home for a family visit, just this little baby. And David now, man, he's a man, he's I started the, I started life at eight pounds, some odd ounces. David started life at 10-10. David has got a little different frame than me. He's 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 a good-sized boy. I call him my little brother. I should call him my younger brother. Amen. <laughs> we came home, we're at this family, and my mom says, she says, okay. She says, I've been wanting to see this for years. She says, I want to see you two wrestle. <laughs> my brother David outweighed me when he stood up in my wedding when I was 23, and he was 14 years old, barely out of junior high, he outweighed me. Now he's in his 20s. I'm rolling up on 30, and my mom says, I want to see you guys go at it. I thought to myself, well, you know, I might go for it being a sound mind and, you know, I was in trouble. Guess what? I, I still managed to take him. I came up with it. He had me pinned. I wouldn't let him pin. I heard him pin. I flipped him over. I pinned him. I said, that's it. We never went head to head again. <laughs> now, the truth of the matter is, if we went head to head right now, he'd whoop me. Because I'm in my late 50s. And he's, he's in the prime of his life. I know all you 20 year olds. 40s are prime of your life. Hey, it gets better. Let me tell you. It gets better. <laughs> You're turn 45, and it kind of started being like, it gets better. <laughs> he would take me. Now, here's the thing. Listen to what the Bible says. The works of the flesh are manifest. I'm not even going to read the laundry list, folks, but here's the thing. If you claim to be a child of God and your life is characterized by one of these things in the list, you need to, number one, question, am I truly born again? And number two, you need to you need to quit telling yourself, well, I'm I'm okay, I'm right with God. You're not right with God if you're fulfilling the works of the flesh. Well, that's a really bold statement, Pastor Mike. That's kind of judgmental. No, that's not judgmental on my part. I'm telling you what the Bible says. Amen. The works of the flesh are obvious. Are you angry all the time? That's not a product of the spirit. That's right. Ooh, boy, got quiet. <laughs> are you angry? Amen, Pastor Mike. That's good preaching. It's works of flesh. But now wait a minute. The Bible says, but if you walk in the Spirit, then your life will produce the fruit. Now it's interesting. Listen, look at this play on words. 
Fruit can mean singular or plural, right? Have some fruit. I might give you one banana, or I might give you a cluster of grapes, but it's fruit, right? It's fruit. Works, folks, are produced by the energy of the flesh. When we work, we work towards accomplishing something, and we get it accomplished, and we stand back and say, look what I did. Don't blame God for the works of the flesh. Works are what we have created with our old nature. The works of that's the energy. But the fruit, there's only one way you can produce fruit. You've got to abide in the vine. Amen? I am the vine, ye are the branches. Every branch that abideth in me bringeth forth fruit. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. Now, here's something else I want you to, to make sure you understand. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Don't turn there. Just make a mental note. Both these passages talk about spiritual gifts. Folks, not every believer has the same spiritual gifts. We don't. The Bible uses the body to compare it. Hey, would you consider your eyesight a gift? I would. Especially after that retinal detachment three years ago. Now, it ain't 100%, but boy, I can, I can still see big black letters back there. Uh, in fact, I can tell those, say, well, I can read friends and family. Forget the bulletin board underneath it. I can't read that. that right. But anyway, everybody, ooh, how bad is it? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sight is a wonderful gift, right? Yeah. But I wouldn't use my eye to try to pick up a piece of paper off the ground. Well, why not? Well, I'd use my hand for that. Now, my hand doesn't have the gift of sight, but my hand has the gift of, you know, in the, in the Bible, the Apostle Paul in both passages talks about the fact that, hey, listen, we all have the same spirit, okay? There's only one Holy Spirit. That's the way you're born again. We all have the same spirit, but we don't all have the same gifts, and we shouldn't be jealous or envious because somebody has a gift that we think is better than our gift. All of them are important. Well, I don't think my little toe is very important. Take your shoe off and kick the end of this little tube as hard as you can. And see how important your little toe becomes to you. Amen? And you'll be amazed at how important that little toe suddenly seems. Honestly, folks, we all have a part in the body of Christ to fulfill his will. We don't all have the same gift, though. We don't. But now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're not talking about spiritual gifts in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit... Of the Spirit is. Now, I know there's no seatbelts on your pew, but if there were, I would tell you to buckle in because it's going to be hard for you to take. The true product, the true result of living a Spirit-filled life, the true product of yielding yourselves to the Leading of God's spirit instead of listening to your old sinful nature are these nine attributes the Apostle Paul lists here. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. Against such temperance, against such there is no law. 
Now, you might be sitting there tempted to think, well, praise God, I got the, I got the temperance one. I, 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 I'm good on the self-control. Yeah, but how are you doing on the love? Because that's what the new nature produces. Amen. Yeah. If your life isn't producing love, folks, then you need to go. Next week, I'm going to preach about that. I'm going to focus on that. I'm, the Lord will. I'm going to focus on all nine of these attributes in the weeks to come. Good. I think I'll take a vacation next week. That's, <laughs> that's up to you. I'm just trying to help you with what the Bible says. But here's the thing I want you to get. In John 13, in the upper room, what does Jesus tell his disciples? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. By your love. Boy, that's the top of the list. The spirit-filled life produces love. Now, folks, some of you here, maybe love comes very, very easily to you. That's great. I'll be honest with you. I, 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 I've been a student of God's word for most of my life. And I was studying this about 10, 15 years ago. Man, I got convicted. How many people, when they say the name might go for it, immediately think love? But man, I'm not sure my own family would say that. Let alone strangers in case, though. I mean, you know, I've, I've heard people say stuff about me. Yeah, yeah, he was in the military. I was never in the military. Kids in that play sports. Yeah, he was a drill sergeant, man. You should hear him. I was that. I wasn't like that. You know? I was there. I've only been in the Lord's service. <laughs> anyway, I thought about the Marines, and the Marines get their chaplains from the Navy, and I didn't want to go that way. No offense to our Navy men present here today. I just did. And so I, I just went right into Bible college. But here's the thing. That's how people, that's what they should get in them. How do we should, we'll talk about next week, how, how is it we can demonstrate love? What are the attributes of true love? But here's the thing. Love. How about that next one? Joy. You know how I walk around most of the time? Does that communicate joy? He <laughs> said, Pastor Mike, what are you upset about? I'm not upset. That's my normal face. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Mike, it only takes six muscles to smile. It takes 30-some muscles to frown. But it don't take any muscles to do this. Conserving <laughs> <laughs> energy. Hey, I'm going to be 57 years old. Hey, I, got, I need all the energy. Honestly, honestly, joy. Peace. You know, peace is peace is the absence of a reaction from outside influences. Why does the lake kick up and have waves sometimes? Well, Pastor Mike, are you a dummy? No <laughs> wind. When the wind's blowing, yeah, the wind is an outside circumstance that's affecting the status of you know. And some Christians are very peaceful if there's no troubling call from the doctor. If there's no odd job left by the neighbor's dog in their yard, if there's no unexpected bill in the mail, if there's no unexpected conflict with their spouse, so they have, they're, they're at peace and nothing's happening, but that's not true peace. That's not true peace. We can go on and on. Here's, here's, here's the, the, the thing today. Number one, have you had a time that you put your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior? You haven't done that, folks. You need to do that. That's right. And the Bible teaches there needs to be a time that you call on the name of the Lord. There needs to be a time you receive Christ as your Savior. Well, I believe in God, Pastor Mike. You know what James says in chapter 4? You believe in, you believe in God, you do well. The devils also believe in trouble. That's right. Amen. 
Satan's right back to him. He ain't going to make it, folks. He's not going to make it. It's not just believing in God. It's having a personal relationship with him. The Bible in Ephesians 5 compares marriage to salvation. You're not married unless you accept someone. You've got to have a time that you personally accept Christ. Now, if you say, Pastor Mike, I am saved, and I want you to be brutally honest with yourself. Now, 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 time out here, ladies. I didn't ask you to go home and write a list for your husband of all the areas he's failed. <laughs> I know. You, you'd be good at it. I know. I know. You could, you could probably get in his little red wagon straightened out perfectly. But here's the thing, folks. I can't straighten out your wagon. You can't straighten out my wagon. The only one that can take care of our wagons is ourselves. And so we've got to be brutally honest with ourselves. Number one, take a look at, well, I consider myself a spiritual person. Well, take a look at this laundry list on the works of the flesh. Are you fighting and arguing all the time? Are you short-tempered? Are, are you having issues? Are you, do you have a critical spirit? I mean, folks, these, that, that's not a product of God's spirit. That's a product of the flesh. And guess what? If you're feeding the flesh, the spirit's not going to have a chance. But now, wait a minute. If you feed the spirit, the spirit gets stronger. Pretty soon, the spirit has a chance against the flesh. That's right. But understand something. The flesh lusted against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. They are contrary one to another. Now, these younger people that don't read anymore, just watch TV, probably don't remember this. But when I was a, when I was a kid, uh, I think I read this for school. But some of you remember Robert Louis Stevenson's uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? You know, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Mild Man, a nice guy, Dr. Jekyll, and Dirty. That all this crazy stuff. But really, what was he describing? He was describing the fact that all of us are fighting our sin nature to keep it under control. <laughs> Well, I'm not fighting. Well, you probably have a problem. Amen. You're not, you're not fighting. <laughs> I mean, that's what, the, that's what the 60s generation was like. Hey, man, if it feels good, do it. That's not sound biblical advice, folks. That's not sound biblical advice. That's not going to help your life. That's not going to help your marriage. That's not going to be good for your family. You need to be walking. How do you walk, folks? One step at a time. You need to be walking in the spirit. So I, 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 I ask you today, do a fruit inspection. Go home and do a fruit inspection. Man, do, do I have love? Do I have joy? Do I have peace? Do I have long-suffering? Do I have gentleness? Goodness, meekness, temperance. Because if we don't, we're not yielding to God's spirit in our life. We're giving in to our own nature. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Lord, we're thankful for the time together this morning. We're thankful for your word how it speaks to our hearts.